The second reading from James chapter 2. The law forbids us to show favoritism, but rather demands that we love all. These words will serve as the basis for the sermon. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but to the poor man say, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word of the Lord. GPS makes it so easy. There are young folks today who have no idea on how to read a map. Well, why should they? Siri can get them where they want to go. But has Siri ever blown it for you? Maybe the address was not quite accurate that you entered or asked her for. Or maybe it's a location that matches something rather close, but not right where you want to be, and you got turned around and ended up on a bumpy byway instead of the real road. But what if it's not a physical road you're after, but a career path? Siri won't be much help. Or what if you're searching for a path to get along with others, for relationships and friendships that are fulfilling and satisfying for you, but also God-pleasing? What path should we be on? What road do we follow to get those kinds of relationships? You might be past the birthday when you're supposed to sign up for Medicare. 
You might be a baby boomer, a millennial, a member of Gen X or Y or Z. But all of us want and need a connection with others because relationships matter. Jesus' half-brother was concerned about that too. And he wrote a letter with that in mind. It's a Bible book that we know by his name, James. In the second chapter of his letter, which you heard read as today's second reading, the Apostle James makes it clear that if we long and desire to connect with others, to get along with others, to live as God would want in relationship to others, then, then we're on the right road when we start at the intersection of judgment and mercy. We're on the right road to have relationships that God would want, relationships with others. We're on the right road when we start at the intersection of judgment and mercy. The officer knocks on your door and hands you a subpoena. You're, you are to appear in court. Uh-oh, what's this all about? You'll see. At the appropriate day, you show up in your Sunday best, and you're in the hallway of the courtroom waiting and waiting and waiting. Your foot is wiggling. Your knee starts to nervously bump up and down real quickly. Finally, your name is called and you're ushered into the courtroom. Perspiration beads up on your forehead and you feel it trickling down your back and you keep saying to yourself, it's going to be okay, I've got nothing to worry about. It's going to be okay, I've got nothing to worry about. But then the judge pats a five-inch thick stack of paper in front of him, pulls off the first sheet, and begins to read into a microphone so all the heads in the courtroom pop up and look at you. And his eyes bore in on you as he is reading. This is so humbling. This is so humiliating. And the first charge is judging people on the basis of their looks on external appearances, their clothes, their skin color, their hair color, their height, their weight, where they went to school, their neighborhood. If we judge people on surface issues, then the apostle also weighs in. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, that's if you're judging people lovelessly on external issues, then you sin and are condemned by God's law as a lawbreaker. What's your gut reaction to that? I know what mine would be. Doesn't sound too bad. After all, the judge can't convict me for what I'm thinking. It's a free country. I'm entitled to my own opinion, right? Maybe I'll have to pay a little fine or do a month's probation. As long as I promise to be good, it'll all turn out well and kind of go away. Or maybe I can afford an attorney and then none of it will stick. But the judge isn't done. 
he unveils more charges. He who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Again, what are you thinking? What's your gut reaction to that? I know mine is, can't make any of that stick anyway. I'm not an adulterer or a murderer for crying out loud. But James the Apostle looks at us and says, wake up. Look what's behind those commands of God. I'm not talking about a court of law downtown or some even pretend courtroom. I'm talking about big stuff, eternal stuff. I'm talking about your relationship with God. James is right. God, our Heavenly Father, has spoken through His eternal Son. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then through the beloved disciple John. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. If you have ever harbored an inappropriate sexual thought in your mind, you are an adulterer. If you have allowed hatred towards someone to well up in your mind and worm around in there, you are a murderer. Guilty. And then comes the kicker. If we end up standing when we die in front of the holy God, to hear our eternal destiny, he has a perfect right to throw the book at us. James writes, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Some sounds unfair. What? I did okay my whole life in front of God and I only sinned like just one little time and now I'm guilty of breaking everything? It sounds unfair. But guess what? We don't, we don't get to make the rules. It's not as though we can set the bar as high as we can easily step over. No, not in God's eyes, not in God's courtroom. He sets the bar as high as he wants, and he sets it as high as the heavens. Be perfect, he calls out. After all, it's his courtroom. And barring something strange or unusual happening, we will be not only embarrassed, but humiliated and humbled when we stand before God. And if that's going to happen to me on the last day, I know what I want to holler out. Save your time, Lord. Save your breath. And save me the embarrassment of having my whole life and all the bad and naughty stuff dredged up and spoken out loud in front of all people to hear and to see. Just, just pronounce your judgment and get over with it. And I'll just pay the penalty and I'll be fine. But even that's foolishness. Because the penalty isn't just a few moments of public embarrassment. The penalty, even for one sin, is embarrassment and humiliation and pain and torment and torture and loneliness and emptiness and a burden of guilt that will never end. But look closely at this scene again. The judge straightens up in his chair peers at me and at you and announces not guilty. What? How can that be? Lord, you've got the goods on me. There's, there's no way you can say that. The judge says, yes, there is a way. You have an advocate. You have a substitute who has stepped in and paid your fine. You've got nothing on CCAP against you, in my view. There's no one 
who can accuse you, in my view. Not even the accuser, Satan. And that, my friends, is what we call mercy. Mercy from God to us. Mercy unexpected. Mercy undeserved. It's why the Apostle James can address you and me and the people to whom he wrote as brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us how God operates elevating the least expected and the lowly. In our life, we tend to put the rich and the powerful up on a pedestal so we can honor and admire them. And if we don't do that, they'll demand it or force us to, but not in God's eyes or in his courtroom. He elevates the lowliest. He takes the least, those who are poor in spirit, Jesus would say, those who recognize that they are rotten to the core inside and can't cure themselves, and he elevates them. Because why? Because Jesus cures Jesus cleanses, Jesus heals, Jesus forgives. And on that basis, God renders a judgment over us in our favor. That's why the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Cling to Jesus, and you'll find yourself at the intersection of judgment and mercy. Because of Jesus, God's judgment over us is not guilty. His mercy is shown by that judgment in our favor. Because that's true, I can be comfortable in my own skin, in my own conscience before God. And when that's true for you and for me, when we know that we're okay with God because of what Jesus has covered us with, with his rightness and purity, and he doesn't see our sin, when we're okay with our God, then we can say, well... We know we deserve God's condemning judgment, but we're, but we're only going to get his mercy from his forgiving judgment. And that now puts me on the right road. Now that I'm related and connected to God, it puts me on the right road to connect with others. Do you see the street signs labeled judgment and mercy crossing each other? We don't need GPS or Siri to put us on the road to having a meaningful relationship with other people. We are on the right road. We are on the right road to having these connections and relationships with other, others, which we so desperately want and need in our life. We're on the right road when we start at the intersection of judgment and mercy. Because God's mercy in Christ Jesus renders a judgment in our favor. So what's the ending to this story? How would, how would you write the ending to this story I'm going to tell right now? So here's the story. It's a Sunday morning, and the worship service has begun, and people are singing the first hymn. And the doors in back open up, and in comes a scraggly street person who starts wandering down the center aisle. He sees all the people in their nice... Sunday outfits, and he wanders all the way to the front, and he sits cross-legged right in the middle aisle by the first pew. Old Charlie has been an usher for 50 years, and as that opening hymn is winding down, old Charlie shuffles after him down that center aisle and gets to that street person squatting on the floor, bends over, and 
What's the end of the story? And Charlie whispers to him, you can't sit here. It's a distraction. Or, and Charlie bends over and gently grabs him by the elbow and escorts him out the door. No, that's not the end of the story. This is how it goes. Old Charlie got to the front where he was squatting, this young street person. And old Charlie, the usher, had a hymnal and a service folder in his hand. His knees creaked as he sat down on the floor next to him for the remainder of the service. The cold air is rustling the leaves and the trees as they're sitting on mats on the top of that low sloping ridge. The twinkling stars and the gray light of the full moon filter through the branches as Jesus turns his face toward them, cups his knees with his hands, leans toward them and says, I know you're worried about the end. I know you're upset. I know your hearts are racing. I know you are troubled that we've come to Jerusalem and I have told you that I'm going to complete my assignment to die for all. But that is not, that is not the end of my story. That's not the end of my story. I will come back to life. I will rise. And I will live with you invisibly every step of your life. But I also know, I also know, my dear friends, my disciples, that you are worried about the end of your life. What's, what's the end of your story? I'm going to tell you right now, this evening, how your story ends. One day this universe which I have created will come to an end. And then all people who have ever lived or who will ever live, billions and billions of people, will instantaneously be gathered in front of me in a flash and there will be books opened and each of you will have a name on one page and I am going to read what I see in your life so that everybody can hear it. Do you want to hear what I'm going to see in your life? Do you want to hear the end of your story? Peter glances sideways at John nervously and he notices that John and all the other disciples have gulped and nodded and so they say we might as well hear it Lord go ahead and Jesus smiled he smiled and I will say to you come you who are blessed by my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then you're going to say and answer me, Lord, when did any of that happen? And I will say, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The disciples gasped on that Tuesday evening on that long ridge called the Mount of Olives. How about that? In spite of our sin, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our loveless judging of others, Jesus is only going to see those times when his mercy inspired our mercy toward others. How about that? He's going to see that our mercy triumphed over our loveless judging. And that's all he's going to see on our record. One day, my friends, you and I are going to be standing before the holy judge. Books will be opened. 
And my name will be on one page, your name will be on a page, and that will be read for all to hear and to see. And I don't know about you, but that makes me cringe when I think about what I deserve to be heard out loud about those times when I blew it in my relationships with other people, when self-centeredness got me to not pay attention to their needs but my own, when I covered up and was scared and was not selfless and giving and helpful. But Jesus is going to say to me what he's going to say to you. I'm not counting that against you. In fact, I don't even see those times. Yes, there are times in your life that you should be embarrassed about. Yes, there are attitudes and behaviors that will humble you if they are made public, but I'm not going to count that against you. In fact, I see only those times when my mercy to you because of my forgiving judgment inspired your mercy to others, overcoming your loveless judging of others. How about that mercy in your life has triumphed over loveless judging? And as far as I'm concerned, the Lord will say to you and me, you have lived, as the Apostle James said, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the word that gives freedom. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Do you want to connect with other people? Do you want to get along with others? Do you want to live as God would want in relationship to other people? We all long for and need and really need and desire to have relationships and connections horizontally with other people. How do we get on that right path? Well, you won't need GPS or Siri to get there. You are on the right path when you start at the intersection of judgment and mercy. You are on the right road to connect with others when you start at the intersection of judgment and mercy. Do you see those street signs labeled judgment and mercy crossing each other? Sure enough, in God's view on the last day, because of Jesus' record on you, he's going to see that your mercy overcomes your loveless judging. Sound like a tall order, doesn't it? Well, it is. But you will have better and closer relationships with other people because Jesus fulfilled that tall order to save us and give us the most important relationship of all, His. Amen. bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.